0: If you got your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. We're going to be in verse 32 through 33, and then we're going to be 35 through 39, and we're going to see another aspect of this Jesus person that we've been talking about these last few weeks. You know, finding out what somebody values can be either a very hard or a very simple thing. It just depends sometimes on perhaps where they spend their money or what they spend their time on. Back when I was in college, I had a roommate that would look at me at about 11.30 at night and he'd say, Skiff, let's get out of here. And I'd say, no, Jason, we can't do it. And he goes, yeah, let's get out of here. So we'd hop in the car. We weren't going to a raging party. No, we were going to Taco Bell. (laughs) And we didn't have any money, so we were going to order off the value menu. Value menu. When you order off the value menu, you're determining what you really value. You value getting full but you don't value your gastrointestinal system (laughs) at all. So to value something highly is great, but you probably are lowering its value somewhere else. Have you ever gone to your local dollar whatever, I'm not going to put a name on it, but, but, but a dollar type of store and got the value invisible plastic tape? Yeah, because that's valuable. No one, no one has enough time to get that tape with their fingernail every single time. There's a reason we call it scotch tape, because the people at scotch make it. Don't get the value tape, because when you get the value tape, you're telling people you don't value your time, all right? So here's the thing. When we choose what we value, oftentimes we elevate one thing and we negate something else, don't we? We're choosing to value one thing, and, and, and something else has to be lowered. But what I want to show you today through the ministry of Jesus is three things that he values. And Mark places the order of the gospel. Remember, Mark is the first gospel writer. And in fact, we, we believe from the church fathers that he was writing the preaching of Peter. So he was writing what he had heard Peter preach in Rome. And he's putting the story in order to tell us things about Jesus. And we're going to see two almost conflicting stories of value But we have to determine what Jesus values as the one who brings the gospel. Because if we can, if we can determine what Jesus values, theoretically, we can determine what we value, okay, as disciples of Jesus Christ. I want to read first verse 32 and 33. This is right after Jesus has healed a demon-possessed man in the synagogue. And then he goes and heals a woman who has a chronic fever. And this is what happens in the city of Capernaum. Just two verses, 32 and 33 of Mark chapter 1. That evening at sundown, they, being the people, brought to Jesus all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city gathered at the door, the whole city gathered at the door, ostensibly to get healed by Jesus. Now skip down to verse 35, if you will. So the next morning, rising very early, while it was still dark, Jesus departed and went to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon, who we know as Peter, and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. And he said, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went through all of Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. All right, now, if you missed last week's sermon about the authority of Jesus and that demons go bananas every time Jesus preaches, you can catch that sermon on vlchurch.com. But what is happening here is the cat is getting out of the bag. The cat is let loose. People realize that this Jesus, the one who is preaching with authority, has the power to do miracles. And we find that in the, in the town of Capernaum, in one day, all of a sudden, the whole town is flocking towards the door of, of, of Peter's mother, where Jesus is at, and they're all trying to get any, anything that's wrong with them healed. So, we understand from the historian Josephus that that the bigger towns in Galilee were 15,000 people and there were tons of smaller towns around there. So, it wasn't some backwater where there wasn't anybody. This could have been hundreds or even thousands of people clamoring at the door saying, Jesus, heal us. So, Jesus engages in this for an evening, but the next morning, he makes his escape. Under the dark of night, Jesus goes out into the desolate places and he begins to pray, probably for strength after healing, however many people came in the house that night. And when his disciples come out excited about the prospect of these hundreds, if not thousands of people who need him, he goes, let's get out of here because I came to preach and I'm going to preach in the next towns also. So we have got to go. Now, we already realize what the mission of Jesus was. Jesus was coming to declare that the time has been fulfilled, the kingdom of God has come, people need to repent, which means to turn towards God, because the good news is coming. That God is going to do something that is going to change the world forever. This is Jesus' basic message. But he's also going into synagogues and he's interpreting the Old Testament, the Jewish Bible for these Jewish people saying, get your heart and mind ready for God. God's about to do something amazing in human history. And Jesus is saying, this is why I've come. And so it seems for just an instant that Jesus is devaluing the idea that he can do miracles and then raising the idea of, listen, I've got to get people's hearts and minds ready for what is to come. And then something else happens. Look at verse 40 of chapter 1. And so a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. And moved with pity, he stretched out his hand, and he touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him, and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded as a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town but was out in the desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. Jesus had his plans ruined. The Son of God... The, 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 the one who who has come from God had somebody ruin his plan. Isn't that great? Later on in the Bible, it says that Jesus was tempted slash uh, tested in every way such as we, yet was without sin. It says that. So Jesus faced what we faced. You ever had somebody just ruin your plan? Jesus' plan was to go from synagogue to synagogue. We see it here in... Nope. I'm back on the wrong page. We see it here at the, in verse 39. He wanted to go from synagogue to synagogue and gently persuade the Jews that he was who he said he was. But because of what happened with this man, guess what? His plan was ruined. His plan was absolutely wrecked. He can no longer enter a town. Let, let's not focus on the miracle for a moment. Let's just focus on the aftermath. He heals the guy and says, don't say anything to anyone. Why would he do this? Well, because Jesus is trying to control the, 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 the power of his ministry. He has goals in mind. He has a plan in mind. He has things he's trying to do. He's trying to get people's hearts ready for what he's going to do. He's trying to do something huge here, and he realizes that if he just becomes the healer, he's not going to accomplish what God sent him to do. He could have stood and had a line of people needing healed the whole world long, and, and old age would have claimed him before uh, and and, and that's, I'm not saying he would have died. I, I have no idea what would have happened to Jesus uh, if if he had got old. But 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 hundreds of years just to heal people heal people, and then they probably go to the back of the line waiting for the next healing. He came to do something different. That's why he sternly charged them: don't say anything. And in the first sighting of abuse of a healing, in the first sighting of disobeying Jesus directly, the man goes and talks about it freely. Hey, there's a guy back there who heals lepers. Look. So much so that Jesus can't even enter a town anymore. Could you imagine him walking up to the next town after finding out this man had done anything? Hey, guys, let's go in here. We're going to go to the. Oh, no. Oh, he talked.
1: Oh, here they come. You
0: know, and Jesus cannot uh, prosecute his ministry the way that he's supposed to, the way that he wanted to. And of course, for the rest of these books of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we see Jesus out on grassy plains, needing to preach from boats, out on hilltops, because people are flocking to him. Yet we learn an incredible truth about Jesus in this story, don't we? Even though he's got a plan, he's got a way he wants to do things, he's moved with pity. Maybe your translation said he's moved with compassion. But we see something right here about the heart of God that is so incredibly important Jesus came to preach, yet he valued this man. And he was very upset at what the world and the, and, and the fallenness of this world had done to this man. Pity and compassion is not even a strong enough word in the original language of Greek. It's more like anger. I'm angry at what's happened to this guy. Angry, upset at the state of this man's life because to be a leper was an awful thing. To be a leper in the first century in Israel was to be thought to be cursed by God. You see, God had cursed a few people in the Old Testament with leprosy, and sometimes we make things bigger than we are, and they believed at that time that anybody who was a leper, anybody who had a skin disease like that was cursed by God. So imagine if you had a disease and you looked at a close friend and said, Look, look at this. I'm in so much pain. This is awful. This is horrible. And they looked at you and said, Yeah, that's because God cursed you. How would you feel? Pretty awful, right? Not only that, but they were separated from society. You weren't allowed to come near people. You had to walk around if you saw people without a skin disease yelling, unclean, unclean, so they'd get away from you. No one was allowed to touch you, not only for fear of catching the disease, but because they would have become ceremonially unclean. They weren't allowed to touch you. Can you imagine the isolation with which this man lived? But we see the heart of God. Jesus has bigger fish to fry. Jesus has come to preach the gospel, but this man says, will you heal me? And what does Jesus say? Nope, can't do that, on my way somewhere else. Repent and believe, brother, see you in heaven. Is that what he does? No. Jesus stops, moved with compassion, and what does it say? Mark makes a big deal out of it. It doesn't just say that Jesus touched him, which would have been <gasps> moment. Mark says, he stretched out his hand and touched him. Jesus reached physically out to this guy. Now, we have no idea what people were doing when Jesus did this. But just being in close proximity to this leper was problem enough. Reaching out and touching him, holy moly, Jesus is doing something that nobody at that time would have done. Jesus says, I will be clean. And in one more way, we see that Jesus is no ordinary man. When Mark says that he is the Son of God, the Messiah, the one whom God has sent you can just look at this story once again and go, yep, yes, he is. So in spite of Jesus just saying, guys, I have to preach the gospel, he opens himself up to having his entire plan of ministry switched and changed. It's going to be hard for him to enter a town, let alone a synagogue, ever again. But Jesus allowed that to happen because his heart was for that man. What could we learn from these two stories together? What can we take from them when we think about what we should value as disciples of God? I think the first thing that Mark wants to show us and that we must learn is that we have to value the main goal. We have to value the main thing. And in case you've missed it, and I don't think you have in our first four weeks of Mark, the main thing that Jesus and his disciples do is proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the main thing. Jesus didn't come to heal every ailment. Jesus came to heal the ailment. The thing that all of our different ailments have in common, like, like we, could, we could like take a survey. Somebody could be like, yeah, I got gout. Somebody's like, I got tinnitus. We could just go in a circle and talk about all our ailments. But all, our, all of us have one thing in common, and that thing in common right now, unless Jesus returns, is that we will die Jesus came not to deal with every single individual ailment. Those will be dealt with. And we see that they will be dealt with. And we preached about it just a few weeks ago in Revelation chapter 21 and 22. There will be no more sickness, no more death, no more tears, no more pain. It will be dealt with, but Jesus had to do something first. The ailment was that people were estranged from God and were going to be separated from him for eternity. And he came to prepare their hearts for that message, that the Messiah is not coming to earth to knock Romans out of Israel. The Messiah is coming to earth because people are estranged from God, and they are not going to see him face to face when they die, or or they're not going to be able to stay in his presence when they die. They're they're going to be, be sent away from his presence. This is what Jesus came to deal with. He had to get their hearts ready because from the Jewish people was going to come the blessing of the gospel for the world. We must value the main goal. We can't not preach the gospel. There's a lot of wonderful things that we can do, a lot of wonderful needs that we can meet, a lot of fabulous things that as a church that we can do to bless the community and bless our neighbors and bless people around it. But if we do that and forget the main goal, We are lost. Jesus did not come to earth so we could do nice things. Jesus came to earth to save people from sin and death and hell. And as disciples of Jesus Christ, we need to join him in that mission always. And we must evaluate ourselves by whether or not any part of what we're doing includes the gospel. We must evaluate ourselves by whether or not what we're doing includes the gospel, or else we've missed it. You know, sometimes as a pastor, I get a call and I find out that a local family has had a fire, and people say, hey, can the church help that family? And I'll say, all right, well, well, let's see what they need. And imagine for a minute, I I came in on a Sunday morning, I said, hey, we had a local family right down here on Hudson Drive, they lost everything. So what we're going to do is we're going to take an offering for them this morning because the insurance money hasn't come through yet, and they have nothing. But if you don't have anything to give in the offering, here are the sizes of the kid's shoes and the adult shoes and the adult's clothing. Could, could, you, could you donate lightly worn things? And everybody goes, yeah. So people give in the offering who have money to give in the offering, and people begin to bring in their shoes. But you have a grand idea. You decide that you're going to bake them a cake. And you go to their hotel, and you knock on the door and say, Hi, I'm from Victory Life, and I want you to know that we were tasked with bringing you clothing, but I thought to myself, clothing is good, but I thought, you do need a cake. Who doesn't need cake when times are hard? I can imagine them saying, well, thank you, and them taking that cake for you, and then you say something in Christianese like, taste and see that the Lord is good. I could see them closing that hotel door and going, Oh, it's really nice they brought us a cake, but I still don't have shoes for the morning. There's just be a total disconnect. Do you know it's easy for the church to bring people cake when they need shoes? We can get involved in a lot of really good things, but people need something far more basic. They need to know Jesus. Far more basic. and We have to evaluate everything we do by that question. Do we tell the story while we're living out the story? Now you may say, Pastor Matt, that sounds harsh. Do we never meet the needs of people? No, Jesus did. The second thing that we see that Jesus values is people. In fact, most specifically, he values this person, this leper, more than his plan. His complete way that he did his mission had to evolve because he stopped that day but I think we see something in Jesus. He had to escape from Capernaum because literally with time he couldn't meet every need. But he met the needs that he could meet. He, he, his heart was moved with compassion to meet the needs that he could meet. And sometimes I wonder, on the other side, the flip side of valuing, that we church people can get so invested in proclaiming the gospel we forget to live it out with our heart because sometimes you do need to stop and meet someone right where they're at and meet their need i don't even need to preach this sermon to you today francie and natalie already have were you watching they meet needs of people while presenting the gospel they present the gospel while meeting the needs of people. You value people. You meet their needs. You put hands and feet on the ministry. You do things that add value to their life. You stop and care. What, what could have happened to that woman who, who walked and knocked on their, on their door if they had said, "Now nah, you can't come in. We're watching some reruns you know what, if you come back tomorrow, maybe we can help you. Or or said, I don't know that we can help you, but there's, you know, there's a wise person down the street who may be able to. Do you value people? Are you willing to stop and let your plan go to rot if it means loving people the way Christ has loved you? I mean, why do we love Jesus? I think it's two basic categories. We love Jesus for those of us who know him because we recognize that he died on the cross for our sins. He took our punishment. He took our pain. He took our guilt. He took our shame, and he has purchased us for God. We love Jesus because of that, but you'll also hear people talk about the fact that they love Jesus because of the blessings that he has poured out in their life the people who love them, the things that he's given them, the, 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 the ways that he has saved them in a very temporal fashion. You love Jesus for what he has done in your life specifically. And we, as we look at what gospel people value, must be first that we value the main goal, but we value people, and we meet them right where they are at. You say, Pastor Matt, how do we value both of those things? Because it seems like if I'm on my way to proclaim the gospel, sometimes I need to look at people and go, no, not right now. Or or perhaps you would say that that I'm so busy helping people, I, I don't have time to proclaim the gospel. How do we keep these things in tension? And this is how we keep it in tension. And if you look throughout the book of Mark, I believe you will see this play out. Jesus valued God moments. Sometimes the God moment is what we're doing right here. Someone's preaching the gospel to 300 people, preaching about Jesus, talking about Jesus. Sometimes the God moment is when you have your friends in your house and you get to share your testimony for the very first time. Sometimes the God moment is in the proclamation. But sometimes the God moment isn't stopping and meeting the need. Sometimes the God moment isn't stopping and meeting the need. Jesus stopped and he listened. And he touched that man right where he was at. That man didn't just need a savior. He needed someone to touch him. He needed someone to add value where he had been devalued. He needed someone to understand what had been taken from him. Someone who cared enough to meet him exactly where he was at didn't give him some blanket statement about the kingdom of God, but what was was so crushing to him with his disease was the isolation that it had caused him, and Jesus said, you are isolated no more. That's where that man was at. We as the people of God have the opportunity, if we will stop and we will listen, to meet people where they were at, Jesus never preached the gospel to this man. But somehow this man ran away from Jesus and preached the gospel. He might not have been able to say, well, this is the incarnate son of God, fully God, fully man, who came from heaven to be our Messiah. He might not have had all the theology, but I'm pretty sure he understood God's son's back there. And you should go see him. I'm not telling you not to preach the gospel. I'm just trying to say that in Jesus meeting his need, he knew exactly who Jesus was. Can we keep these things in tension the way the Lord did? Jesus was always ministering, sometimes to crowds, sometimes to the individual. His disciples should always be ministering, sometimes to the crowd, sometimes to the individual, always meeting people exactly where they are at. That's how you hold two competing values in one place. Look for the God moments and say, God, what would you have me do right here and right now? Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Father God, there's people that need to know that Jesus loves them. There's people that need to know that we love them. There's people, Lord, who we encounter every day that don't know you. God, I pray that we would never allow our ministries to become more important than people. And Lord, I pray that we would never allow our ministry to people to be more important than the gospel. Lord, I don't know how to keep this in balance for everyone in this room, but you do. And Lord, as we look to you to help give us opportunities to share your gospel, to give your good news away, I pray, Lord, that you would have us seek these moments where God disrupts our plan, but God's plan is not disrupted. Would you spend a few minutes in prayer with me today? Just asking the Lord if something has been valued too highly or too lowly. Perhaps an attitude, a title, a ministry has been overcome your heart for people or perhaps your heart for people has not been